Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. To your Father in heaven, as we do each week, we come before you now and ask you to be here with us in this place. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So today is Trinity Sunday. And the tradition on this day is to preach about the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. That is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Sort of how they work together, what they mean in terms of the good news. Often clergy will have their associates preach on Trinity Sunday because it's almost impossible not to stray into abject heresy when talking about the Trinity. I actually have a good Trinity Sunday sermon, at least it's good in my opinion, it's sort of an old chestnut that I like to bring out, and that was actually going to be convenient for me this week. I spent most of this week at a conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I was giving a talk at a conference that was called Grace, Peace, and Personal Survival for the preacher. As you see, I survived. Um, so it was going to be convenient for me to sort of bring out my normal Trinity Sunday sermon, sort of uh, tweak it around the edges, polish it up a bit, and give it to you. But then, despite my best laid plans, the keynote speaker at this conference, and yes, I know you're shocked to hear that I was not the keynote speaker at the conference, but the keynote speaker, who was a professor of religion at Augsburg University named Mark Tranvik, and I mention his name not only to give him credit, because I like to give credit where credit is due, but also uh, to give you someone to blame if this sermon completely crashes and burns. Um, A professor of religion at Augsburg University named Mark Tranvik at this conference referred to something that he called the demonic trinity, and I knew immediately what my sermon had to be about. I mean, those three words just prick the ears, don't they? The demonic trinity. So today, welcome to the other Trinity Sunday sermon. Not the Holy Trinity, the demonic trinity. And just to spice things up a bit, we're going to throw in a side helping of time travel. So that's what we're going to do this morning, the demonic trinity and time travel. Are you excited? I know, I am too. So... Here we go. If you read much Martin Luther, and you may not, and I haven't read a ton myself, but Tranvik is a Lutheran minister teaching at a Lutheran school, so he has read a ton of Luther. And if you've read a lot of Martin Luther, you start to sense some of the rhythms in his writing. And one of these things is a little triplet that Luther keeps returning to over and over again in his writing and in his preaching, this triplet of sin, death, and the devil. He keeps returning to this idea. He rarely mentions one without mentioning all three, sin, death, and the devil. It's like a mantra for Luther, this demonic trinity, sin, death, and the devil, our three great Adversaries, And what Tranvik introduced me to this week was an interesting concept I had never thought of before. 
the idea that there is a temporal or a time-related dimension to this demonic trinity. Each adversary, he said, could stand in for a time in our lives. Sin is the past. It's what happened to get us to where we are today. Death is the future. It's the end result of sin and the final judgment for all of us. And the devil is our present, our current adversary. As St. Peter says in his first letter, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So sin, the past, death, the future, and the devil prowling around in the present, looking to devour you. Are you encouraged yet? So this came to me at, I thought, an opportune time because over the last week or so, I've seen a particular meme coming up on my Facebook feed over and over again. It's a photograph of George Strait, the country singer. I don't think I knew what he looked like until this meme started popping up. And it's a quote allegedly from him. And this is the quote. If you don't leave the past in the past, it will destroy your future. Look at what's in front of you, not what yesterday took away. The best is yet to come. And this makes a lot of sense to our human intellects, right? It makes, it makes sense of how we normally think of the world. But I want to suggest to you this morning that this is actually a very unhelpful idea. To leave the past in the past and focus on the future. If we were to translate this into Luther's idea of sin, death, and the devil, George Strait might be saying, don't worry about the sin of the past. It's already happened. Worry about the future. Make tomorrow better than yesterday. Now, when you think about it, this is pretty different than Luther's idea of how this works out, isn't it? George Strait wants to talk about the best being in the future. And what does Luther put in the future? <laughs> Death. This is Luther's encouragement for us, right? Um, and as depressing as it sounds, I think Luther is unassailably right, right? Again, as the doors famously said, no one here gets out alive. Right? Death is, in fact, as depressing as it sounds, the future. George Strait, or whoever put together the meme, I think is actually wrong. And I think this betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of how we normally treat the past, the present, and the future. I told you, time travel is involved in this sermon. Stick with me here. So George Strait's way is the way that we normally think, right? Live in the present. Think about the future. We hear this all the time. After all, the future is the only thing you can do anything about, right? So work toward a better one. The past is just that. In the past. Forget about it. You can't change it, so don't think about it. But I don't think that's true. I actually think it's exactly reversed. I think the truth is we can't actually do that much about our future, really. And in fact, the only thing that we can control is the past. 
I see some quizzical looks out there. We're, we're in for a good ride here. I think it's going to end up in the right place. Now, I know, I know it sounds weird because it runs counter to everything we think we know. Right? The past is set in stone. But the future is moldable clay. But I think that understanding that you can't really change the future, but can do something about the past, actually makes it possible to live in the present. Are you totally confused yet? You feel like you're in a Back to the Future movie or Avengers Endgame? I think it's true, though. And this is my sort of thesis for the day. You can't do much about your future, but in fact, you can do something about your past. Think about the control you've tried to exercise over your future. Are you where you thought you'd be 10 years ago? Are you where you were working toward then? Are you the person you promised yourself you would be? Perhaps you are. I certainly am not. Hardly anybody I know is. I look back on my life, and though I thank God for where I am today, I more often than not find myself wondering something like, how did this happen? How did we get here? But the converse is true, too. If you can't control your future nearly as much as you thought you could, your past actually can be controlled. In fact, I'll go so far as to say your past can be changed. This is where we get to the good news. Because what can change your past is when it is forgiven. It is forgiveness that leads to peace. It's forgiveness that makes life possible. We've all heard stories about and perhaps experienced in our own lives unresolved things from the past that ruin things in the present and in the future. I'm tempted to say, isn't that what psychiatry is all about, right? Dredging up and dealing with the past so that the patient can live in the present and in the future. But then I realized that basically all I know about psychiatry is from Frazier. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure I'm the expert, but that is what Frazier does, right? He brings people into contact with their past so that they can deal with it, making life in the present and in the future Possible. I read a detective novel once where the killer, spoiler alert here, is revealed to be the grown-up, miraculously saved infant of a woman who was murdered while she was pregnant. I know that's dark, but did you follow that? A pregnant woman is murdered, and then several people conspire to cover it up, and years later, the killings start. And the cops eventually realize that it's the kid coming back all these years later seeking revenge. Now, isn't this profound imagery, right? It's the unrepented of past literally coming to kill you. In the 2012 uh, Robert Zemeckis film, Flight, Denzel Washington plays an alcoholic 
airline pilot who, despite being drunk and I think on drugs, safely lands a malfunctioning airplane, even executing the the top gun flying upside down maneuver in a jumbo jet and saving the lives of almost everyone on board. Now, as there always is after a crash, there's an inquiry and some empty bottles of booze are found even though no alcohol was served on the flight. But Tenzel is able to lay the blame off on a stewardess who was, in fact, killed in the accident. He's going to get out of it. He's home free. He's about to be exonerated. But inside, he's tortured. Even as things look like they're going to work out for him, he's devolving. His life is falling apart. And then at the very end of the movie, he decides to tell the truth about what happened, even though it means he will go to prison. And that's where the movie ends, with Denzel in jail. The future now totally outside of his control. Remember, he's literally in prison, but he has dealt with his past. He has confessed, which in the church leads inexorably and inevitably to absolution, to forgiveness. Now that he has dealt with his past, he is a new man. He has a future. This is the future that Paul is talking about as he opens Romans 5, a future that is guaranteed by a forgiveness of the past. Since we are justified by faith, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That first phrase from Romans 5, 1, we are justified by faith, has basically two acceptable translations. First, we have it the way we have it in our reading, since we are justified by faith. But it's also sometimes translated, since we have been justified by faith. So this sentence is the good news proclaimed in the face of that demonic trinity of sin, death, and the devil. God has, by Christ's accomplishments on the cross for us, forgiven our sins in the past. That work is done. It is finished. His death has defeated death forever. His resurrection has won for us everlasting life. We will die, yes, but that is not the end for us. Death has no claim on us anymore. We are new creations, resurrected with Christ. But this thing that happened in the past, accomplished once and for all, is still having effects in the present. It's making our lives possible today, even with the devil prowling around. It's giving us peace even now. We have been justified by faith. We need not fear. The fight is already won. The mistaken idea that the only thing we can control is the future leads to things like workaholism and burnout. Because if the future is all you can control, it's where you're going to pour all your energy. 
desperately trying to make things turn out the right way. And of course, this is just a non-religious way to talk about justifying yourself. Working to make things come out okay. But there is no peace there. You work and work and work and you're never sure. Where does peace come from? Remember what Paul says. Why do we now have peace with God? Because we have been justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have been forgiven. When we try to justify ourselves, there is no peace. Peace comes through the forgiveness earned not by us, but on our behalf by Jesus Christ. So this is the good news about Jesus Christ for you today. Your sins of the past are forgiven, taken upon his shoulders on the cross. And not for nothing, that includes your sins of today and tomorrow and forever as well. Nailed to the cross with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The death of your future and the devils of your present have been defeated. They have no power over you. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Christ has redeemed the you you were, the you you are, and the you you're going to be. And the result of this good news is peace. Peace that passes all understanding. You don't have to make everything okay. Everything has been made okay for you. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, rest assured. I have not been able to get this phrase out of my head for seemingly weeks now. Rest assured. In light of Christ's finished work for you, you can rest. You can be assured of God's favor toward you, earned in and by Christ. You can rest assured in his grace. And so it is yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.